Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Pass Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielo.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. A couple things we're going to talk about in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Just a reminder, if you're interested, you can give the show a call. The number is 732-364-3598. Or you could also comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed. If you're watching the show for the first time on YouTube, you could also submit your comments. Unfortunately, because it's not during the live broadcast, uh, I may not be able to get back to you or respond to your dialogue soon enough. But the goal is, obviously, to keep everybody involved in the show. And a reminder, anything that's on your mind, even if it's in regards to something that I don't happen to be talking about at the moment, a couple Things that interest me today, um, I wanted to talk about the Yankee discount, also wanted to talk about playing hurt, and I'm going to mention the word sack, S-A-C-K, in a little bit as it applies to anything, because i got to be honest, hearing this word and the way it was used, and I understand its, its meaning, but didn't see it used so often in referring to one particular thing. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to start the show uh, talking a little bit about baseball free agency. And obviously we're at a point where you're seeing the likes of guys like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper going on their national tours. And it's obviously very specific in regards to Machado. He has specified three distinct locations, New York, Philadelphia, and of course, Chicago with the White Sox that he's going to go see this week. It doesn't mean those are the three finalists. It doesn't mean he's not going to stop by and visit some other team. And it doesn't mean that a team that ends up signing him doesn't necessarily have to be a place that he stops by and visits. Now, we look at these high-profile free agents that we have for a long time. We always talk about the whining and dining process, the Selling a guy, let's say, like an Alex Rodriguez, or obviously in past years, you're talking about Reggie Jackson, you're talking about Nolan Ryan, you could talk about anybody that has really had the opportunity to be a free agent, and with the knowledge that there's going to be a lot of teams interested in that. So part of it is selling the team, per se, that that prospective free agent could go to, but also part of it is selling the history of that team which you find very often with the New York Yankees. And you also see it happen, hey, selling a city. Maybe New York is a place where, hey, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So you see a number of different scenarios or a number of different ways that a particular team will try to sell or convince or coerce a free agent from going somewhere else as opposed to that particular team and region. Now, the thing that I hear the most about is a so-called Yankee discount. And I understand. Listen, you're going to find somebody that's going to be so loyal to the city of New York. It's going to be so loyal and interested in wanting to be a Yankee that they may want to do it at the expense of their full market value. They may want to do it for a discount. There's obviously several reasons that wouldn't make sense for that player. And certainly, if you look at a high-profile agent like a Scott Boris, you would understand that it wouldn't be a very good business decision for any one of his clients to go to a particular team at a discounted rate. 
the discounted rate, it doesn't matter what that team is, is going to impact the possibility of future free agents being able to earn as much as they possibly can. Now, I try to separate this particular topic into two different categories. There's a New York Yankee fan version of the Yankee discount. And, and you know what? You could change the team name and say it to apply to any team in professional sports. The Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Los Angeles Lakers. Any team that you want to name could possibly, from a fan's perspective, have a city and an audience and a fan base that is so interesting and draws that player in that they don't want to play in front of anybody else or they don't want to play for any organization. A lot of times you'll see it apply to a player that was homegrown, a player that came up through a particular farm system. Let's say Derek Jeter with the Yankees. Could you imagine Derek Jeter at any point of his career, even in his last year or two, going to play for somebody else? You, know, you think of Joe DiMaggio, you think of Ted Williams, you think of Mel Ott, and I'll throw some other random names in there as we go, but there's a lot of players that are so, their their name is so symbolic with the city and the team that they play that it would be beyond sacrilegious that that player would ever play anywhere else. Ernie Banks, Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn. Um, if you want to apply it to the Mets, David Wright. I mean, I understand David Wright's career is ending in an unfortunate way and not a way that he would have imagined it to. But if David Wright was healthy, you would expect this would be a player that would start and finish his career in one particular place. Obviously, there's a lot of names in baseball that are very synonymous with certain teams, and they ended up not finishing their career there. Willie McCovey, Willie Mays. Um, you think of a lot of really good players that, yes, they are known to be members of one team, but towards the end, they ended up going somewhere else. Henry Aaron's an interesting one because he went from Milwaukee to Atlanta with the same team and then went back to Milwaukee when it was a different team, but he did change teams. So getting back to the point that I, I wanted to discuss is, is there a discount that you could say would be applicable to any baseball player to take because you've seen as a in a history of free agency as contracts have obviously swung into the players' favor. Players got the choice where they want to play. The players have the choice almost to maximize their you know the the amount of financial gain that they could get out of each one of these deals. And since the late 1970s, when free agency became abundant, you've seen the earning potential of similar players, and it's not that the players, and you can, we can have this discussion or debate off air, it's not about the players now being better than they were in the 1970s. Yes, it was a different game, but the players now have the ability to make way more than the players did in generations before. And in the early part of the 2000s, the players then had the potential and ability to make more money than they did in a generation before. The players in the late 80s and early 1990s had the potential to make more than the players that were became free agents in the late 1970s. And that's something that baseball as a group, as a fraternity, the players have an obligation to do that for the next generation. So when we talk about discounts as they apply, yes, 
there's exceptions. There's that player that is ending, getting down to the end of their career, is not quite what they were for years, but is embarking on a very long career. And in their mind, in their fans' mind, and the people that associate that player with baseball's mind, there's no way you'd expect to see that player play for any other team. So perhaps they would take a discount to remain with either their hometown team or homegrown team or the team that they spent their entire career with. That's the exception to the rule that I'm about to make. It makes no sense for a guy, whether it's a Manny Machado, whether it's a Bryce Harper, or really any free agent, right? You could you know, fill in the blank with any major free agent and say they're going to say that they want to play for the Yankees. They're going to say that they love the Yankees. They're going to say that their dream was to play for the Yankees. Every baseball player, every professional Major League Baseball player grew up a Yankees fan. And because of that, they're going to talk about how much they want to play for the Yankees, how much is their dream. They could pick whatever it is of the players that played in past generations, whether it's a Derek Jeter or a Bernie Williams or a Mariano Rivera, or they want to go back to the likes of a Reggie Jackson or a Ron Guidry or a Goose Gossage, or before that to talk about a Mickey Mantle or a Yogi Berra. And if they go back far enough, they could discuss through their grandfathers and great-grandfathers the likes of Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and, and you know, Roger Peckinpah, if you want. But the bottom line is that the dream exists for every baseball player, whether it's domestic here in the United States or whether it's foreign. Whether you know, you're out in Japan, that's where you grew up, that's where you learned to play baseball. Whether you're coming from South America or the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico, everybody knows about the Yankees. Everybody knows about the Yankees' greatness. Everybody knows about the fact that the Yankees have won 27 World Series championships, have been to 40 World Series, and have been really the most successful franchise in all of professional sports, barely edging out the Montreal Canadiens of the National Hockey League, by the way. That all being said, there is no circumstance that would make any sense right now in 2018 as we get ready for 2019 for any player to feel that they have to take a discount to play for the New York Yankees. Now, I understand why fans feel that way. Yankees fans are similar to fans of any other team in any other sport. Now, baseball doesn't have a salary cap, so the expectation is, you know, there's a certain part where we forget or don't care about the financial ramifications. You think of the salary cap in the NFL. You think of the salary cap as it applies to the National Basketball Association. Any trade that's made in the NBA can only be made if you make the salaries match because every team is right up there against the salary cap. Now, if you know your baseball, which a lot of people do, you know about the luxury tax threshold as it exists in Major League Baseball, which is a very, very soft salary cap. It still is a salary cap. Only two teams in Major League Baseball out of the 30 spent more money than the $189 million, which was the limit before you have to pay the luxury tax to the other teams. So obviously it's something that has impacted baseball. Teams aren't spending as feverishly or as freely as they used to be. And even the teams that are seemed to be understood to have the deepest pockets, to have the most money, to have the most ability to just sign essentially whoever it is that they want, have to operate under a budget through a certain point. So I understand that. Now fans will sometimes feel like the 
the, like I just said, the fact that teams can just spend whatever they want because there's no cap, but they'll also take the other route where it's like they got a job for the organization as their financial planner, and all of a sudden are going to tell the teams exactly how much money they could spend on a certain player. And every contract that's signed, the complaint is, oh my God, that's too much money. Well, there's a, a value, a market value that's set, and sometimes that has to do with supply and demand. There could be a demand for a particular type of player, a particular position. There could be a number of teams in when it comes to the discussion about one player. If you got eight teams that are making legitimate offers at one free agent, obviously one team is probably going to go above and beyond, and that's the team that should end up with the player. So to get into this point that I want to make about a discount, and in this case a Yankee discount, it really wouldn't be good for baseball, for anybody, to accept one penny less to play for the Yankees or any other team for that matter. So the thought, and I understand why fans of the Yankees would think this as it applies to Manny Machado, that if Manny Machado wants to play for the Yankees so much that he should take a distinctly less contract than he could get perhaps from the Phillies or perhaps from the White Sox. And of course, I'm using the Phillies and the White Sox as examples because those two teams are also meeting with Manny Machado this week. But from a baseball standpoint, it makes sense for the player and their agent to make sure that that player could get the most lucrative deal possible. Now, if you're talking about just a couple million, if one team is offering just a couple million over the terms of, let's say, hypothetically a 10-year contract, then it's okay to take a little less. But if you have 10-year offers and maybe a 12-year offer out there, and you're Manny Machado, and you decide to go to the Yankees on an eight-year contract, I don't blame the Yankees if they could get that, but I also think it's pretty messed up how one team can almost have a monopoly over the others with their ability to bring in players at less than the value that they have. And it's not fair to the other players down the road that may not have the opportunity or may just simply not want to play for the New York Yankees. If you end up, let's say you're an L.A. guy, you end up being drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers, you become the best player in the game, and your dream is just to play for the L.A. Dodgers. You want your career to start and end there. And you're the best player in baseball. Now, that agent is going to talk to whatever team it is that could possibly be interested, but the focus is on the Dodgers. But in this case, the Dodgers can use it against the player the fact that, let's say, a Manny Machado decided that he was going to take less money in years because he wanted to play for the Yankees. The Yankee discount, and you could really fill in the blank, any team, any team discount, whether it's you know the NFL and somebody wants to play for the Dallas Cowboys, whether it's the NBA and somebody wants to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, you've seen examples on players taking less money to play for a place that they want to play. LeBron James is a prime example. He could have been offered the most money and the most lucrative contract and the most years by the Cleveland Cavaliers because of their bird rights. He chose to go to L.A. because that was closer to home. That's where, where he felt comfortable playing. And that's where essentially really it came down to it. There was no negotiation. It was what kind of contract the Lakers were willing to offer. And you know that the NBA is a little bit different because the frameworks of certain contracts are set up 
before you based off of a particular team's salary cap. If a team doesn't have the salary cap space, it can't offer a player more money than it can or can't offer a player more money than they have left in their cap space. Obviously, the bird rule allows for a player that belongs to a certain team to be able to go above and beyond in a, a max value contract to retain a player. But, you know, you understand what I'm saying. You know, there shouldn't be any discounts to play for any team, let alone the New York Yankees. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web, and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I was watching the Saints-Carolina Panthers game yesterday, and you know maybe if I get a little chance, we'll talk a little bit about betting as the show comes to an end today. We'll see if we have time. If not... It's really not that big of a deal. But, you know, the Saints expected to go to Carolina, be able to have their way with them. A team in Carolina, which obviously has had noted struggles in their last six games. They started out 6-2. and two. They looked like they had every much as much of a chance to win the NFC South Division as the New Orleans Saints and be on pace to be one of the top teams in the NFC maybe secure some home field advantage, but at the very least, they were expected to be a playoff team through their first eight games. Hasn't worked out that way. They've lost their last six, but the thing that has stood out the most has been the digression or the uncharacteristic play of Cam Newton. And Cam Newton, since he's come to the NFL out of the University of Auburn, has been a force. He's been really a, a solid quarterback, very consistent over the last several years. His ability to throw the ball, you know he has a very good arm. He's got a big body, so you know he's, he's a pain to bring down if he's in open field. He's got you know legs, he can run really fast, and you know really is a whole generational type of quarterback. You know, a lot of teams have tried to draft or develop similar players. To Cam Newton, since Cam Newton has come to the league, he's kind of revolutionized the position. But it it's only fair to say his play has not been very good this year. Even during the time where the Carolina Panthers were winning, so you know he comes out, and it's not that it just came out after last night's game that Cam Newton's been uh, dealing with a shoulder injury. And he's, he's been going through this for a while, so it's not, like I said, not the first time it's been brought up. But it makes me think about athletes and playing hurt. Because there's really two sides of this particular topic. It's, it's great for somebody to say, hey, I'm going to man up. I might be in a little pain, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give it my best. But if you are giving it your best and your best is simply compromised, over the fact that you're out there, are you perhaps more of a disservice to your team than actually helping? You've seen many examples of this, and I can think of one with the New York Mets last year. Jay Bruce spent the first half of the season, he was injured. He wasn't able to perform to his best of abilities, but he manned up. He said, hey, Skipper, put me in the lineup. I'm going to go play. 
gave it his very best. There's no way you could question his effort. There's no way you could question how hard he was playing. He gave it everything he got. But it was very obvious that his ability to do the things that he was supposed to do, the things that he's getting paid to do, the things that he's getting expected to do, that he's expected to do on the diamond, he is not coming through. So would it be better, would it have been better if Jay Bruce sat out last year with the Mets, let himself recover from his injury, because when he finally did go on the disabled list, missed whatever it was, a month or you know, a month and a half, he came back and he looked like the player that he was when he signed the three-year contract with the Mets to be in the middle of their batting order and play right field and hit potentially 30 home runs. Cam Newton, we've seen what Cam Newton can do at his very best. There's no question that he is still in the prime of his career. He is not an elder statesman in regards to quarterback. You haven't seen a decline in his physical attributes, which have allowed for him to be successful for as long as he's been. It's obvious he has lost a step this year, and it's also obvious that he has lost a step this year because of his shoulder injury. He is not the same player. His injury is keeping him not only from being 100%, because I wouldn't expect any NFL player through 15 weeks of a given season to be 100%. But if you're down at a certain point where you are unable to help your team anywhere near your full potential, I think it has to be brought up whether that player is better suited to sit out a week or sit out a couple weeks and maybe get themselves in a little bit better physical condition and maybe recover a little bit better from their injury than to just try to play through it. We talk about being tough. And he, listen, and the NFL is the prime example of the sport where you want everybody involved to be tough. And obviously, if they're not tough, if you're considered soft, it's a very big thing to try to overcome as an athlete. Football players are supposed to be tough. If you're missing season upon season and there's some doubt over whether or not you are as hurt as you claim to be, that's one thing. But if you're going out there, given 100% on the field, but your body, because of your injuries or whatever it is that you're dealing with, is compromised to a point where it almost is a detriment to your team of you being out there, then I think the decision has to be made whether you're, it's better suited for you to continue playing or it's better suited for somebody else who may not have the physical talent that you have but is 100%, their 100% may be better than your 40%. It may be better than your 25%. And of course, it depends on the player. You know, if Cam Newton is 90% right now, we'd, be, we'd have a whole different conversation. We'd be talking about how possibly Cam Newton, after a nice little run, is starting to go through the second part of his career where he is no longer in his prime. I don't believe that. I believe that he is still in the prime part of his career and he is simply dealing with a shoulder injury that is hindering his ability to help his team the best way possible. Now, obviously, it's hard to have one good quarterback, let alone two good quarterbacks. So I'm not expecting the backup quarterback for the Carolina Panthers or many other teams, for that matter, to be go going out there and do anything close or perform at anywhere near the level of a guy like Cam Newton at 100%. But once again, 
that percentage of what you're getting out of that player, of Cam Newton's backup, 100% might be better than Cam Newton at 20%. Maybe better than Cam Newton at 15 or 10%. Maybe better than Cam Newton at 1%. I don't know exactly how injured he is. How much is his shoulder injury compromising his ability to do the things that he's supposed to do? Because for the last six games, and probably going back a little further, he does not look anywhere near like the Cam Newton that we've seen in past years. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPiello.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. So I'm going to talk for a second or two about soccer, and I'm going to quickly transition to something that was interesting that I just want to talk about. So Manchester United fires their head coach, Jose Mourinho. And I'm reading several different articles this morning about it. It's obviously a big story. Um, World soccer is a bigger deal for a lot of people than any major sport in this country and any major sport in the world. And Manchester United essentially is the Yankees of world soccer. And, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, you know, perhaps if you're a hockey fan and you hold the 24 Stanley Cups that the Montreal Canadiens have won, you know, to the standard of gold, then you, you understand the impact and the importance to Manchester United soccer throughout the world. So they make a decision to fire their coach. I'm not here to analyze it. You know, my buddy Gerson or a couple other people that follow soccer really well probably have better insight to this than I do. But the word that was used to describe this man's firing was SAC, S-A-C-K. And I heard it used before, and I figured if somebody is sacked, it meant that they were terminated or relieved of their duties. I mean, it was a pretty easy word to try to figure out based off of his context what it is that it meant. But I was reading, especially the world soccer articles, the ones that are referring to Manchester United, uh, almost close to them, maybe a European story that's translated to English, or maybe a European story that is written in English. Maybe, you know, United Kingdom or British English. The word sack, S-A-C-K, is used as if this is a word that's used all the time. And I've never thought about it before, like to describe, hey, I'm terminated from my job. I just got sacked today. Obviously, you think of it as it applies to the United States of America. You, th- you think of... In the National Football League, a quarterback getting tackled by a defensive player behind the line of scrimmage. But the word sack can refer to that head coaching changes, change or changes that we'll see on Black Monday, the day after Week 17 in the National Football League. The likes of a Todd Bowles or coaches like that that are in very dire situations that are unlikely to come back are going to get sacked. At the end of the season. Not terminated, not fired, but sacked. So I kept that pretty short. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, the smoothness, 
and drinkability, you'll find a no beer at any cost. So sticking about the winningest managers in Major League Baseball history, and I'm going to talk about how it applies to other sports in future shows. We'll talk about the winningest coaches for each NFL football team, the winningest coach in each one of the basketball teams. And obviously some teams got longer traditions. Some teams have only been around for, what, 20 years, 25 years in baseball. So you understand that the manager that stands out in baseball in this particular instance doesn't necessarily have to be there a ridiculously long time. It doesn't have to be Connie Mack with the Philadelphia slash Kansas City slash Oakland Athletics, who we all know was there for 50 years. John McGraw with the Giants, the New York Giants, was there for 30, what, 32 years, right? He started in 19, no, actually, I think it was like 1903, so it was like 30 years, just about on 30 years. But that's a long time to be at one job at one post in one city for one team. So I was going down the list, and some of the ones that stood out to me, you have to, you have to actually go to the 19th century to trace. And there was a ball player that is in the Hall of Fame, the first player in baseball history to ever get 3,000 or more hits. And that's Cap Anson. And of course, Cap Anson comes with a side story, a negative side story. A man who was a very noted bigot, really did everything he could and had a place in uh, Moses Fleawood Walker, not getting a chance to play in Major League Baseball or being outlawed from Major League Baseball in 1884. So we're certainly not looking at a nice man. And nothing that I could ever say that somebody would do like that to hold anybody back based off of any difference would be acceptable at any point. Certainly wouldn't be acceptable in 2018, wouldn't have been acceptable in 1947, would not have been acceptable any time before that. So anybody that says, hey, that was the times, uh, unfortunately, isn't getting it. Now, I can't respond to how I would feel or how I would have thoughts put in my head through my upbringing if I grew up in the 19th century. That being said, there should have been, and I'm sure there was in certain instances, cooler heads prevailing in regards to judging people of all types of differences along the same light. So Cap Manson, to me, was a jerk-off. He had no reason to do what he did to hold one person back, not based off of ability, not based off of what they could do on the baseball field but to hold anybody back because of race or because of any other difference is absolutely unacceptable. And it, once again, it doesn't matter what generation it was. doesn't matter what century it was. It was still and still is unacceptable. So I was thinking about, like a, let's say, a Fred Clark who managed the Pittsburgh Pirates in the early part of the 20th century. He was there for a considerable amount of time. So, you know, we're, we're looking at certain managers that were around for a while. So a lot of those answers, if we're looking, it, it basically my question was going to be, who won the most games as the manager of this team? You know the answer for the Athletics. You know the answer for the Giants. You know the answer for the Cubs because I just told you, Cap Anson was there for like, what, 24 years from like 1870-something to like 1890-something. A lot of times he was still a player. 
but really was the first long-serving manager in Major League Baseball history. And I know we don't like to talk about the 18th century as if it was part of modern baseball, but there's a couple things that stand out. Cap Anson and his run with the Chicago team, which of course was known as the White Stockings, the Colts, the Orphans, before it was known as the Cubs, and the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. So those are two things that I'm always going to bring up. That and Old Haas Radborn, who was a ridiculous pitcher, won 57 games in a season, something we're never going to see again in baseball history. Outside of that, I'm with a lot of other people. I'm not going to mention a lot of 19th century baseball. And it's unfortunate because it was really the beginning of the game that we see today. And if it wasn't for some of the trials and errors that baseball had during that time, the game would never have grown into what it is today. So I'm trying to think amongst managers that were serving and with their teams the longest. I don't think there's anybody else that can touch the 19th century. Sparky Anderson stands out because he's got the most wins for two different franchises. And in fact, two long-serving franchises in Major League Baseball. The Cincinnati Reds, who obviously were the first National League team in, like I think it was 1876. And, of course, the Detroit Tigers, one of the American League's original eight teams in 1901. So he has got the most wins for two different franchises. Tony La Russa would have had a very good chance to do the same thing if the Oakland Athletics that he was managing were not the predecessors to the Philadelphia Athletics. Walter Austin spent over 20 seasons with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mike Sosha spent 18 seasons with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Bucky Harris had about, well, I think it was at least three different stints as the manager of the Washington Senators. They, of course, are now known as the Minnesota Twins. Tom Kelly was there for a while. Ron Gardenhire was there for a while. But they both paled in comparison to Bucky Harris, who won the most games in that franchise's history. The other Washington Senator franchise ended up going becoming the Texas Rangers. And there's a guy that's still associated in Major League Baseball, and I'm hoping at some point he gets another job as a Major League Manager, and that's Ron Washington. He's got the most wins in the history of the Texas Rangers franchise. Bobby Valentine is second, but it's about a, like an 80-game difference between Washington and Bobby Valentine. Bobby Cox with the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Manuel might be a shocker to Philadelphia Phillies fans. Most wins as a manager of the Philadelphia Phillies in their history. Now, the Phillies are known for being the losingest team, losingest team in Major League Baseball, just based off of the amount of losses that they have. Started in 1883, had many very bad years over the course of the 20th century, and of course didn't win their World Series championship, their first one, until they were in the league for 97 years. So there's a lot of losing there. With that lot of losing, you figure there was a lot of change in managers. So it didn't take until it took until the 21st century for the Philadelphia Phillies to have the winningest manager or the manager that has the most wins in that franchise's history. The Miami Marlins, Jack McKeon. Pretty interesting. Team is 25 years old. A couple other managers managed for a little while there, but Jack McKeon stands out. Um, New York Mets. Davey Johnson. Now, 
It's an, it's interesting for this reason because Terry Collins has managed more games from 2011 to 2017, but David Johnson won more games as the Mets manager. Washington Nationals slash Montreal Expos. It's not Gene Mock. It's not Buck Rogers. It's not Dick Williams. It's Felipe Alou. And actually, Felipe Alou probably managed the Montreal Expos, probably their best team that they had in 1994, a team that probably was good enough to win the World Series that year if it wasn't for the strike in Major League Baseball. And imagine how the likes of that city and baseball in Montreal would be if the Montreal Expos had won the World Series in 1994. And I don't, I don't know if it would have generated a ridiculous amount of revenue. I don't know if it would have allowed for them to operate completely different when you, you, make, you make it about what happened to that city and how they lost baseball. And I do want to acknowledge Rhino Wark, who mentions that Cam Newton looked horrible, but a worse decision by Rivera to let him stay out there. And that's kind of what I was getting to before. You know, you got a, you got a, a player that obviously is ridiculously talented, obviously by choice is the guy that you want running your team. Not only is he the quarterback, he's the, most, the go-to player when it comes to that team, but at what point, do you have to say that his performance, because of his injury, is compromising the opportunity for that team to win? And if you watched the Carolina Panthers yesterday, they were not competitive because of Cam Newton. And like I said, this is not a knock on Cam Newton. This is not a sign that he shouldn't be playing pro football again, that he shouldn't be the quarterback of the future for the Carolina Panthers. I don't believe any of that. But I believe that Cam Newton is compromised because of his shoulder injury to a point where it's probably best, even in competitive games, even if hypothetically the Carolina Panthers were in this situation where they're playing their next two weeks with the opportunity to get to the playoffs. Cam Newton, because of his shoulder injury, does not give them the best chance to win a football game. And it's a shame that now it's all over. He thinks even if, you think even if the Panthers go out there and win their next two games and finish 8-8, eight and eight, they pretty much need every single team that's ahead of them to lose out. And I don't even know if that's possible because I haven't looked at the schedule yet. But the bottom line is it might have been better for Ron Rivera as the head coach to decide, all right, I'm going to give Cam this week off. Let's see if he's feeling better this week. We're holding him out of practices, but let's hold him out of a couple games and just make sure that his shoulder, see if it can get any better. And maybe if it doesn't get better in two weeks, we'll put him out there because we know he wants to be out there. But at least give it a chance that you get a better player by trying to recover for a couple extra weeks. So back to what I was talking about, Major League Baseball managers, longest, most winningest managers of each individual team. Tampa Bay, Joe Madden, Boston, Joe Cronin, Yankees, Joe McCarthy, Blue Jays, Cito Gaston, Orioles, Earl Weaver, White Sox, Jimmy Dykes, Indians, Lou Boudreau, Minnesota Twins slash Washington Senators, Bucky Harris, Detroit Tigers, Sparky Anderson, Kansas City Royals, Ned Yost. 
Houston Astros, Bill Vernon, Texas Rangers, Ron Washington, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Mike Sosha, Seattle Mariners, Lou Pinella, Oakland slash Philadelphia slash Kansas City Athletics, County Mac, National League, Atlanta Braves, Bobby Cox, Washington National slash Montreal Expos, Felipe Alou, New York Mets, Davey Johnson, Philadelphia Phillies, Charlie Manuel, Miami slash Florida Marlins, Jack McCann, Chicago Cubs, Cap Anson, Milwaukee Brewers, Phil Gardner, Cincinnati Reds, Sparky Anderson, St. Louis Cardinals, Tony La Russa, Pittsburgh Pirates, Fred Clark, Colorado Rockies, Clint Hurdle, Los Angeles slash Brooklyn Dodgers, Walter Austin, New York slash San Francisco Giants, John McGraw, Arizona Diamondbacks, Kirk Gibson, San Diego Padres, Bruce Bochy. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We talked about the Yankee discount and how it really doesn't make sense for any player, regardless of how much they want to play for the Yankees, to have to take a significant discount just to play there. And if the Yankees are using that as a bargaining tactic, I think that is a terrible way to do business. And I would hope that every player would stand up against that type of bully. And I have brought up on this show several times my feelings about Brian Cashman behind closed doors. I don't have any evidence of it because I've never seen him behind closed doors. But if you look at the way a lot of his trades end up working out, how he ends up fleecing other teams, how he ends up almost bullying them in negotiations, how when it comes to contracts that he signs players to, you know, he was tough on Derek Jeter. He's been tough on a lot of other players, basically saying, hey, you want to wear the pinstripes, you're going to have to adhere to our terms in regards to a contract. And that's not the way it works in Major League Baseball. It's not fair for the other players that are coming generations later to have one team that is actually operating itself differently than the other teams. Now, when are players going to stand up and say that, you know what, I'm just not going to play for the Yankees if they're not going to pay me? Do you think Reggie Jackson would have gone to the New York Yankees you know, before the 1978 season? I'm sorry, before the 77 season? That's the, Sorry about the pause there, but I was thinking 77. Before he joins the Yankees in 77, is he going to go to the Yankees if they're not offering him the most money? When is that going to change when it comes to the Yankees? They, don't, they shouldn't have this type of control over the players that come in there. They should have to adhere to the same terms that other teams are willing to offer their players. Talked about playing hurt. Did Cam Newton make a mistake by giving 100% of what he had while he was hurt over the last several weeks? Did that cause the Carolina Panthers this season? Was Cam Newton at 25% better than the backup quarterback at 100%? Jay Bruce with the Mets last year, you saw him struggle mightily for two months because he was playing hurt. He sat out two months to recover from his injury, and he came back, and he was back to the player that he was before. 
the word sacked applies to termination, applies to being fired, applies to losing your job. And all you have to do is look at a European story about the coach of Manchester United and see that word used a hundred times. Like it's essentially biblical speak. Finally, winning against managers in Major League Baseball history. We'll put that up on JohnPielli.com if you get a chance to check that out. We'll be back with you later on in the week. We'll talk a little bit of NFL. Uh, my last point I'm going to make, we talk about one of the most interesting things about sports. Sometimes it's the unknown. Or almost it's like when you're rooting or expecting, kind of in a danger zone, when you think something really can't happen. And two things that I'll never bring up on this show, I'll never talk about any of my fantasy sports teams, and I'll never talk about specifically any of the bets that I wager on any of professional sports. The ones that I make kind of in fun, my little $10 bets that I make on my football picks, I'll post them up on the site and I'll talk a little bit about why I'm betting on what I'm betting on, but I'll never talk about the results. And I'll tell you, it's interesting to see that what you think is going to happen in pro football generally doesn't. And out of five games that I picked this past week, I did something that I hadn't done all season in the National Football League in my picks. And that was to go up against four legitimate long shots that I didn't think had any chance of winning the particular games that they were playing. If I was betting on them and I made sure I didn't let the lines matter, I would have bet on the other team. And three of those, actually, three of those four won. The other one won because the other team didn't cover the spread. We'll be back with you on Friday. Once again, this is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.